0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. We continue forward with this story on the Attorney General Jeff Sessions and of course what will follow on. And There's no one better to do that with than Stephanie Baker, our senior writer with Bloomberg Businessweek. And we talked to her this morning, not about Mr. Manafort, not about money laundering, but the arcane constitutional nature of our independent Justice Department. Stephanie, let us begin with Civics 101. Why is the Justice Department different from every other cabinet office? Why are they supposed to be removed from the White House?
1: Well, I mean it, it, that has um, those measures have been uh, reinforced um, since Watergate that you would have an independent um, attorney general uh, whose job is to enforce uh, the rule of law and the Constitution. Um, and yes, um, the president has the authority to fire his attorney general, um, but obviously in, in the situation that we're in right now, um, it is clear that he has fired Jeff Sessions um, because he was annoyed that he would recused himself right. uh, from the Russia investigation. So this does look like him trying to intervene in what is supposed to be an independent special counsel investigation into the president.
0: Stephanie, Charlie Savage has a nice overview this morning in the News York Times on the future of the acting the Assistant Attorney General Mr. Rosenstein who many would suggest should be the one in the job I guess now of Mr. Whitaker who I guess is a senior careerist under the arcane language of Washington. What would you suggest Mr. Rosenstein will do in the next 24 hours?
1: That's a really good question. We do not know. Will he stay? Will he go? Will he stay out of a sense of duty that you know he can be there to continue to um, have input into the Mueller investigation? And let's step back. We, you know, the Justice Department has said that Whitaker will oversee the Russia investigation. But what we don't know yet is uh, what Justice Department ethics lawyers will say. Uh, about whether or not he is biased and has a conflict of interest and cannot, would recommend that he cannot oversee uh, the Mueller investigation. He has said publicly in the past, Whitaker, that, um, that he thinks that Mueller has gone too far by uh, examining the Trump Organization uh, finances and ties to Russia. Uh, and he actually outlined a scenario which could actually happen here, which is where Jeff Sessions steps down, Trump appoints a new attorney general, and that new person curtails the Mueller investigation, starving it of funding.
2: But, um, Stephanie, exactly what do these lawyers, I mean, can these la- lawyers say that, oh, it's unethical for, for him to get involved because of conflict of interest? Or can they
1: actually get him out of there? Um, that, that is, it's been tradition that you follow what um, uh, Justice the Department advice. ethics yes. a- advisors tell you to do, which is exactly what Jeff Sessions did. Um, however, Jeff Sessions didn't do that immediately. It was only through... Um, Pressure from the media that he ended up, you know, calling him out on his meetings with Russians that he had not disclosed, et cetera, that 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 led him to follow those ethics rules. There are rules in place that would prevent someone from overseeing an investigation if they have a publicly documented perceived bias on that. So how that plays out remains Mm -hmm. to be seen. Whitaker, there is there on a temporary basis, um, regardless. Well, He's there for 210 days uh, until someone, uh, Trump is able to get a, a, a new attorney general confirmed right, right. in the Senate. Oh, but
0: come on, Stephanie, this is the heart of the matter, and you're correct, it's 210 days, because you and I became experts on the Federal Vacancy Act last night. We were both up until 2 a.m. reading a 60-page document. What damage can Mr. Whitaker do in 210 days?
1: I would say quite a lot, Um, but I also think that Mueller would have anticipated this happening and probably would have taken steps to protect the investigation, as I would expect Rod Rosenstein would have as well. So, I mean, the question in my mind is, are there indictments that are under seal now? Has he moved to get indictments uh, through and kept them under seal Um, you know, waiting for this moment to happen, in which case, you know, Whitaker's ability to curtail those is very limited.
0: Very good. Stephanie Baker, thank you for the briefing this morning, of course, uh, with Bloomberg.
2: Joining us now, En route from the Citigroup, the Fed, the IMF along the way, is uh, Bill Lee, Milken Institute Chief Economist. He joins us now. Good morning to you, Bill. Hey, John. What is the decision day guide for the Fed today, Bill? Well, today
3: we snooze because we know the Fed's not going to do anything. We, they may give a hint at how they might be revising their outlook, but the key is next year and what's going to be doing going on next year after the December rate hike. And there the controversy is that you have ranges of, of estimates going from four rate hikes in, in next year to possibly one or two. And I'm in the one or two camp because one of the things that you have to consider what the Fed does is that it considers financial market conditions. In particular, the exchange rate, which you just mentioned, uh, we, we see that the exchange rate has gone up by about eight and a half percent from its lows earlier this year this spring and that has tightened financial conditions in fact when you look at monetary conditions indices uh, five to ten percentage point appreciation is equivalent to about a percentage point in rate hikes so we have kind of almost a percentage point in rate hikes already put in place because of the dollar appreciation
2: there's nothing like a good market route through a single month to fuel a debate about the fed taking a pause anything you see right now that suggests the fed should pause bill
3: well, you know, a lot of the fiscal stimulus is rolling off. Everyone's expecting the, the forecast to slow down. And now the question is, will it slow down below potential? And that I doubt uh, because I think a lot of the, 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 the investment that's been put in place because the, the, the tax cuts and, and the tax reforms uh, is, is, is likely to be longer lasting than people are estimating. What I'm most concerned with is the condition of the consumer. Um, I know that uh, the consumer savings rates are, have been restored, but the new data showing, you know, 6% plus personal savings rates, a lot of it's coming from private businesses, uh, proprietorships, yep. and I think the households themselves are still in a weakened condition.
2: Well, let's talk about housing because housing is not looking good. Inventory exactly. starting to pick up. That was the tell someone told me a number of months ago, that when inventory starts to pick up, you know there's a bit of a problem. Is there a bit of a problem, Bill? Yeah, uh, households are not able
3: to finance the amount of expenditures they really want uh, out of current income. They're they're having to dip into savings and, and not save. And that housing issue is really the, 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 the tip of the iceberg. I know that people say in the housing market say there's not enough supply out there, but it's really in that starter home level where you're seeing mm. the problems, and people just aren't able to afford to get out of their apartments into uh, their starter home, and right now, millennials are getting to the stage where the second baby's coming and everyone's looking to move out of that cramped apartment.
0: Bill John mentioned the news flow, which is just extraordinary. We'll touch on all those themes this morning, but I want to back up after this election, and we still don't even know some of the analysis of it and who voted for what and all that. How gilded is the gilded age from where you sit with your work with Bowder for years at City Group working with Michael Milken now on bigger themey kinds of things. Let's go to the heart of the matter, which is this gilded
3: age. How gilded is it? The Gilded Age is one where financial markets are changing, and I think that's something that we have to recognize. It used to be that corporate America raised money by doing IPOs. More than 6% of corporate financing came from IPOs. Now, more than 6% of corporate financing comes from venture capital and private equity. Is that
0: just rent capture by the Gilded of the Gilded Age?
3: (laughs) Well, a lot of critics like to say that. They say, well, private equity doesn't do anything but to fire a lot of people, make firms more efficient that way. But uh, the research I'm doing at Milken with my my co-researcher, Jacob Vilhelmus is yeah. showing that private equity related IPOs, once they go public, actually generate jobs at a much faster pace than IPOs that are not related to venture capital. Yeah. So there is some longer lasting effect of a positive boost that comes yeah. from employment.
0: Uh, uh, John, I know Henry Kravis flew back from Singapore economy, but we need to do a shout out you, to Mr. Kravis. You think he flew in blue Yeah, he told me that, I mean, Bloomberg, the Bloomberg New Economy Forum. It was good to see Henry
2: Kravis there. Nice, in economy like you fly.
0: Yeah, like yeah, yeah, of course, of course.
2: Yeah. And Bill Lee as well. I, I <laughs> yeah. doubt. Guys, give me a break. Bill Lee, let's talk about this divided government. Is it good for the U.S. economy?
3: You know, it, a lot of people said that fiscal impasse is good. And yet before they said fiscal uh, action that was taking place by the Trump administration is also good. So you can't have it both ways. <laughs> so, so I think one way to square that circle is to say that the lack of impasse allowed us to put in place a lot of policy stimulus and, and, and tax reform. Now impasse will allow that action to stay the course and not get reversed. So I think that's one positive spin you can put on the impasse. But surely uh, everyone's looking toward infrastructure and maybe drug pricing as the new fiscal actions to be taking place. I have my doubts about that because, honestly, who's paying for all that infrastructure? Yes, it's supposed to be public-private partnerships, but let's face it, most of those projects are underwater, and and we have not perfected the model of involving the private sector in public infrastructure spending.
2: The rally yesterday undoubtedly risk on worldwide off the back of that midterm election result some people characterizing this as the gridlock trade i wonder though bill if there's just some investor relief out there that there wasn't a democrat wave
3: indeed i i, I agree with you john i think uh the the, the policy uncertainty from the the possible uh, you know revenge of the democrats has has eased financial markets and and let's see how long this 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 rally lasts you know of course john if it doesn't last that's another reason why the fed will not very aggressive because the wealth effect is real and my my 401k plan is now becoming quickly a 201k plan as Tom used to say
0: Well, what do you mean used to say? Excuse me we digress
2: here at Bloomberg Surveillance Tom uh, Tom missed all the upside you missed Bill, the whole bull market.
0: I called up Mike Milken, Sinning and he cash. wanted me to look at derivative <laughs> strategies, and I'm in the triple-leveraged all-cash fund. We, 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 you know, Bill, you got to understand, one of the hallmarks of Mike Bloomberg Milken surveillance—
3: offers a 401k plan? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. He offers this to us employees. John,
0: John, if we had an opening of the 401k envelope recently, give well, us now an update. It's
4: delivered electronically. Oh. I went green.
0: <laughs> you went green, but we used to, Billy, we used to open up Tucker's 401k envelope during the crisis and uh, watch it shrink down to a 101k at one point. Billy, within that is the sense of profit, as Magnum Desai would say of the London School of, Cap, uh, of Economics, about capitalism. Is our capitalism off the tracks,
3: or do we just assume there is Desai's profit that will lead to good things? You know, profit margins are really key to everything. Financial markets, whether it's through private equity or through the the, the public markets, and and now that we have some sign that wages are starting to pick up again, where is it going to go? It's going to cut into profit margins because firms currently no longer have the kind of pricing power they used to have to be able to pass on these cost increases. So there is a threat, but let's not let's not forget. Profit margins are incredibly thick right now, so there's a lot of room for profit margins to be squeezed and, and, and for allowing the wealth to be uh, more, broadly, uh, more broadly enjoyed.
2: Bill, just as a final question, just to round things up, and I know this will be quite difficult to answer, but when the president, Donald Trump, won the election back in November 2016, the soft data, the survey data, captured this immense confidence almost immediately. I'm trying to understand to what degree that pickup in confidence has actually fueled a breakout in trend growth and whether we can expect it to roll over now we have a divided government.
3: John, thanks for the hardest... Question I ever received, and one of my favorite topics, the, the, the interplay between soft and hard data. I, I used to say that, you know, if I had if I could live on soft data, I wouldn't have to worry about my 401k plan. And <laughs> and, and 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 I think that's really where the issue is. The latest GDP numbers are showing kind of a fall-off in, in, in corporate investment. But you know, every other piece of data, whether it's durable goods or 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 industrial production, seems to be showing that's well in place. So I think the jury is still out as to whether or not there's a longer lasting effect that's coming from the corporate tax reform that feeds into investment and raises productivity which is all, what we're all hoping for.
2: Hey Bill, really appreciate your time this morning. Thank the you so The news flow is just immense. <clears throat> Milken Institute chief economist joining us from I think Washington DC. Washington, morning.
0: yes. Down in You're Washington, Washington
2: DC. You know the hopes were high. The SEC came out and told Tesla and Elon Musk they needed to get a new chairman. Most people thought, though, they would go outside of the company, go outside of the board. They have not. They've chosen an insider. Robin Denholm will succeed Elon Musk as the board chair, an independent director becoming the chairwoman of the company. Joining us now to discuss is Consumer Edge Research Senior Automotive Analyst Jamie Albertine. Jamie, your thoughts on the newest move from Tesla?
5: Yeah. Thank you. And, and good morning. Um, look, I, I think, you know, to to agree with your point first, I think we were hoping or hopeful that there would be an outside um, person brought, brought to chair the board uh, to really demonstrate the independence, um, which I think, you know, the board needs to demonstrate here after uh, years of corporate governance issues and whatnot. Now, uh, they've done, I think, a good job to bring somebody uh, to promote someone who has uh, a wealth of experience around accounting and, and financial management operations, uh, has worked with global technology companies and, and, and very uh, highly regulated companies in the telecom industry. We expect now the two independent directors that the board will uh, likely nominate soon will likely be uh, you know, Tesla's solution to bringing in the outsiders. So they just chose to do it a slightly different way than what we would have perhaps hoped for. Um, But nevertheless, I think they are striving to demonstrate that independence, and that ultimately is the
2: key. Well, Jamie, I'm not sure they have done that with this appointment. And I'm with you. Robin Denham has great experience. I lived in Australia for a little while. Telstra is a big company in Australia, a big telecoms company, Mm -hmm. very well known. If you're the CFO of there, you know what you're doing, for sure. My point really, and I think everyone who's listening, most people would share this point as well. The board has shown no real ability over the last year to provide any oversight, any real oversight over Elon Musk whatsoever over the last 12 months that has stopped him from behaving the way he has. So why is anyone on that board, independent or not, suitable for this position?
5: Well, I uh, look, I, like I said, I think I agree with you and the premise. Um, and, uh, you know, this would not have been our, our first choice. Um, and, and But I would I would also say, I mean, it's been certainly a few weeks since we've heard anything yeah. sort of outlandish from Elon's Twitter feed as well. So, so perhaps yeah. the wheels are in motion, um, and it's not necessarily a day-to-day, you know, updatable no. uh, uh, a metric the company's willing to provide. But it, it does seem that they have an opportunity here. Perhaps they missed that opportunity with her promotion. But nevertheless, you know, I, I think it's too early to say that they, they haven't taken full advantage right. until we know who the two independent directors
0: are. Jamie, one of your charms is your debt work at SAC Capital and other places as well, linking debt into equity oh, analysis. You. What does a Tesla? The debt tell you uh
5: well i really do appreciate that praise. I, you know unfortunately i haven't looked at it on this news no uh, i don't so mean on sure the news but, but i mean in general in,
0: in the last number of months is the debt firming up with a confidence around mr musk or not
5: Look, I I think the third quarter went a long way to to firming up confidence in the in the trajectory and the mission. Right? I mean, that was the big debate: will they be profitable, and and how quickly can they be profitable? And and I think the third quarter went a long way to sort of de-risking the story. Yeah. Uh, not only from the equity, but also from the debt perspective. To answer yeah. your question: it's incredibly difficult to understand. I think from a day-to-day or even week-to-week perspective, what. Debt holders are discounting in Elon. I, I think it's probably very similar to the equity holders. You know, he has done a tremendous amount of great work in breaking through with revolutionary technologies and manufacturing in, in an industry that is just very reticent to change. Uh, and there are believers that will stand by him regardless of sort of these idiosyncrasies that, that kind of drive the stock market volatility day to day. Um, I I do think, though, results matter now, and the third quarter went a long way to sort of de-risking the story, and I think you're seeing a little bit of firming up in both the equity and debt from that perspective.
2: Well, just in terms of the pricing (laughs) of the debt, Tom, the 2025 note has had a low of about 83 cents on the dollar. We're back to 89, so certainly not as dramatic. And as Jamie points out, the equity and the debt has certainly firmed up after the drama through the summer.
0: Now, Jamie Albertine with us. Uh, really great with to Consumer have Jamie Edge with us. Research. Really it's smart. Bill Peccariello out of Morgan Stanley years ago, and a bunch of really smart people doing uh, uh, some basic security analysis. Jamie Albertine.
6: What we have is we have Bill Gavin. And uh, let me just introduce Bill Gavin because the topic is going to be what goes on in Washington. Not Austin, not New York, but in Washington and the ongoing investigation by Mr. Mueller. And to give due to Mr. Gavin, he spent more than 25 years with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. He served previously as the assistant director of New York which is the Bureau's largest uh, field office. He was also in charge of the World Trade Center investigation. And I dare say he hails from the state of Massachusetts. So he would definitely know about the big dig. Bill Gavin, thank you very much for being with us. What can you tell us about the changes at the Justice Department and the ongoing investigation into Russian collusion and Russian participation in the 2016 presidential election. Does the change at the top mean anything for Mr. Mueller? Uh,
7: I think that's probably – I wish I had a big crystal ball to be able to give you the, the right answer, but there's a lot of possibilities there. With the new acting attorney general and perhaps uh, to be named attorney general, um, he has a different plant on uh, the investigation than, than uh, um, Jeff Sessions did. Uh, the, the, the It's not going to make much of a difference on the opposite side of pennsylvania avenue and the fbi it's whoever runs the department of justice runs it but i think the the uh look at, by the department of justice at uh, bob Mueller's investigation might be a little different than it has been in the past i would caution folks though as i as i look at what has come out of that investigation i suspect it's probably coming to an end fairly shortly and maybe the new acting attorney general will uh, kind of push it over the line But I suspect that maybe um, uh, the investigation by Bob Mueller is going to determine that there was no collusion by Donald Trump. That'll surprise everybody, but I don't think it will shock anybody. I think that's probably part of what the conclusion Bob Mueller might have.
0: The FBI building, uh, (laughs) as you know, Mr. Gavin, everybody agrees is architecturally deficient. There's a little more stature to the Robert F. Kennedy building down on Pennsylvania Avenue at Justice what is it like in those hallways today is people try to figure out are they taking orders from Whitaker or Rosenstein? I mean, what actually is going on by the coffee, the water cooler, the Starbucks outside today at Justice?
7: Well, I, I think that everybody's still trying to figure that out. But if, in fact, um, Whitaker now becomes the head of uh, the boss of the of 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 the former leaders there then then i think that has a whole new dynamic it's not that he's unknown to them so they can probably predict what he's going to do they know his personality they know his contacts they know where he's been they know his white house contacts and so everybody is probably going to have to shift a few gears uh to get ready for that kind of uh, uh that kind of activity there uh i there's probably a little bit of um not only confusion, but some angst, maybe, with some folks. But that's the way it is whenever you have a change, and and particularly a dynamic change like this.
6: Uh, Bill Gavin, is is there in your mind uh, any change in the way in which the Justice Department is now going to be viewed by the White House?
7: I think it probably will be. I I believe the, the, the White House will now... Look at the Department of Justice as not being dysfunctional, but having somebody at the helm that will uh, right the ship and, and get it uh, get it going the way it should be going. But it should be acting independently of the White House, as we all know. As should the FBI across the street be acting independently. But by the same token, there has to be a working relationship yeah. and a credibility. Uh, between the uh, uh, DOJ and the White House.
0: Mr. Gavin, one final question. You have been a great supporter of Bloomberg Surveillance with your multi-city experience with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. This morning, once again with Bill Gavin, we're looking at a horrific shooting. The issue is it's not the romance of the F.B.A. and a Smith & Wesson 38 It is a technology of firearms. What's the Gavin prescription to make the events like Thousand Oaks stop?
7: I don't think there is a prescription for it, Tim. I think that, that looking at what happened... Uh, this individual, it, it, it'll come out, but I, I haven't seen any details yet as to where the ATF will be tracing that uh, that weapon down and finding out where he bought it. Was it legally purchased and all those kinds of things? Uh, again, it just comes right down to the to the mental stability or instability of the individual who has a gun, this the ability involved. And mm-hmm. maybe there can be a better way to... Uh, determine uh, whether or not yeah. a person should have a, a firearm. I think that's part of the solution here, uh, to be able to have some sort of a psychological profile uh, that goes into a database that uh, prohibits people yeah. that have a propensity to do something like this from uh, ever obtaining yeah. a firearm.
0: William Gavin, thank you so much for his service in Miami, Denver, Washington, a- and of course, New York with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And we thank Bill Gavin for his attendance.
6: Joining us now is David Lofman. He is the former high-ranking Department of Justice official who oversaw parts of the Russia investigation in his role as the chief of the counterintelligence and export control section. And he joins us now. Mr. Lofman. thank you very much, and of course, thank you for your service. I wonder if you could comment on the resignation or firing of Senator Jeff Sessions as Attorney General and the appointment of Mr. Whitaker, Matthew Whitaker, as the acting uh, AG, and whether we're getting ourselves all worked up over something that we've seen many times before, which is politically influenced appointees to run the Department of Justice. We've seen this many times in the past, haven't we?
4: Well, there's nothing unusual about um, someone with a a political uh, history or credentials uh, being nominated for a cabinet-level position or or ascending an interim role. Uh, It's the context in which this occurred that gives rise to such deep concern uh, because the only reason President Trump ousted Jeff Sessions is because Sessions was recused from oversight of the Russian investigation being conducted by the special counsel's office, And the only reason he picked this guy, Mr. Whitaker, uh, to ascend to the AG's position, even in an interim basis, um, is because he's not going to be recused, uh, because he has manifested um, a certain degree of antipathy toward the Mueller investigation. And he will now be in charge of overseeing an investigation that puts Mr. Trump, family members, and his business at risk that the president despises.
6: I understand that, and, and that is certainly uh, a clear a clear view, but uh, I, what I was getting at is that this is not unusual, is it? I mean, if you go back into, uh, into presidential history, whether it was the appointment of Edwin Meese, uh, or whether it was uh, the appo- you know, Robert Bork was an acting uh, attorney general, uh, Elliot Richardson, Richard Kleindienst, uh, John Mitchell, for example, it, it's not as if we haven't seen this before.
4: Well, I would, I would differ with you. It with depends on what the this is that you're talking about. Um, it's highly unusual, I think, for the chief of staff to the attorney general to be elevated uh, to serve on an interim basis as attorney general as opposed, for example, to elevating the sitting Senate-confirmed deputy attorney general, Mr. Rosenstein, to that position. And what uh, makes this particularly exceptional and of concern is the context uh, in which this occurs, which is that you have a highly sensitive criminal investigation chart that is assigned to Mr. Mueller, and the incoming interim AG has manifested publicly on more than one occasion um, a certain antipathy for that very investigation. So at risk uh, is the ability of Mr. Mueller to continue his work to completion in a manner it ought to be completed, consistent with Department of Justice practice, Uh, with the rule of law, and that is at risk, and that's what separates this from the realm of, you know, so-called more normal circumstances that you allude to.
0: David Loftman, we are honored to have you with us today, and particularly with your public service on international uh, work at the Justice Department over uh, the years. I want to go back years to your work with the House Ethics Committee, and it comes up in the discussions I've seen in the last 12, 18 hours of the Department of Justice ethics office. What is that? The basic idea is Senator Sessions on joining justice ran his thoughts by the departmental ethics office and they briefed him on what to do. In this case, he recused. Is Mr. Whitaker almost, does he have an obligation to go before the bureaucrats at justice and say, here's my past? Or does he get a free pass?
4: Well, there is an established ethics process at the department. Um, a senior official in the office of the Deputy <clears throat> Attorney General, Mr. Rosenstein's office, serves as the senior ethics official for the department. He is a right. career official, so he's nonpartisan. Um, he's a fine attorney, and customarily, an AG coming into the department as to whom there is some ethics issue that sure. you know loudly calls out to be resolved <clears throat> would you know turn to. Mr. Rosenstein's office and say, hey, um, I'm not sure what the right thing to do is here. I understand the high public interest um, in the matter. Um, Give me an opinion on whether you think I should be recused. You know, that would be the normal situation. Um, That's almost certainly not going to happen here, um, because uh, as sure as you and I are talking, the president, you know, must have elicited a commitment Mm -hmm, from Mr. Whitaker not to recuse himself. So there's no point in Mr. Whitaker initiating the process of getting an ethics Okay opinion, uh, because he's not it's improbable that he would honor it. But if here are your to recuse.
0: I've heard so many pundits over the last 12, 18 hours weigh in on this and you're actually legitimately qualified. What is the institutional pushback that will assuage force, tend, whatever the gentle word is, Mr. Whitaker towards a normal prosa- process and behavior versus what he and the president of the United States assumed to once. What, what is the institutional oomph to get the gentleman from Iowa to go through the normal process?
4: Well, I'm not sure anything is capable of uh, causing that result, given the uh, genesis for his uh, elevation in the first place. Um, but I suppose it's possible that there could uh you know, occur in some sort of self-initiated context, um, an assessment by uh, Department Ethics officials, sort of sua sponte, that is, you know, without responding to a request by Mr. Whitaker um, to assess whether he ought to recuse himself. And this is different than the Sessions recusal. Sessions had to recuse himself. Essentially, it's a matter of law because of his work on the uh, 2016 Trump campaign. This is a more subjective, even if it's uh, an obvious case, where... Uh, even if he doesn't have a clear you know, conflict as a matter of law, you know, the appearance of a conflict is so strong and so putrid um, that it just cries out for him to not involve himself um, in oversight of the Mueller investigation. Uh,
6: uh, Mr. Kaufman, Laufman, if, if, if all of what you say is accurate, and I believe it to be so, does Mr. Whitaker have the technical expertise to be the acting attorney general?
4: You know, um, hard to say. Um, you know, people can serve in the position of the attorney general without being, you know, legal scholars or technically, legally uh, efficient in a particular area of law. He has served as the United States attorney in Iowa. Um, I can't really speak to his technical, yeah. uh, you know, or legal legal credentials or expertise. And, you know, it's the staff that surrounds uh, them that can provide, uh, you know, support for carrying out the duties of the attorney general. It's the deputy attorney general that really runs the day-to-day operations yeah. of the Department of Justice.
0: David and one final question, and certainly within the stream of punditry I heard last night, there were actual experts like you, and the word that kept coming up was protect the evidence. Do you have a confidence that Mr. Mueller and his team, whatever anybody's belief is, will be able to protect the evidence.
4: Well, I'm hopeful. I mean, this is really one of those sort of nightmare scenarios that you're positing uh, where the evidence they have gathered could be at risk. Um, you know, the FBI is carrying out the investigative functions for the special counsel's office. And I have every reason to believe that uh, the FBI, in conjunction with the special counsel's office and uh, the deputy attorney general's office, have taken appropriate steps Uh, to protect any information the special counsel's office has generated in their case uh, from any political abuse.
0: This has been wonderful. David Laughlin, we greatly appreciate your attendance uh, today. We look forward to speaking to you uh, in the future. He's a former federal prosecutor, prosecutor, senior national security official at the United States Department of Justice. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast